demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hand on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them, and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. <clears throat> Thanks, Sarah. <clears throat> Hello. Oh, dear. Hello. It's <laughs> better. I'd like to hear and now rebuke the name Low Sunday. I don't like it very much. Makes me go, hmm. Makes me feel, oh, my expectations are not very high. That's not the God whom we worship. <clears throat> I think the God's expectations for us and our expectations of him can be anything but low. You know, Calvary was the sign of a crucifixion, but it was also the sign of, it was also a place of coronation. Because on the cross at Calvary, one Friday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took the punishment for every sinful thought, every sinful thought, every act of bad behaviour, every misword about someone else, every element of low self-esteem that grips us and prevents us from moving forward. And in, through his shed blood on Calvary all those years ago, he made it possible for all of us to be free. Every form of enslavement or chain was broken. And I feel very proud at times like this when I hear Heather talk about the pastoral um, I hesitate to use the word system, but structure, a way of operating that this church is embracing is about helping people to move on that pathway to complete and utter freedom. Whatever anybody said about you, whatever script you've played about yourself in your own mind that's brought a negative self-image has been broken. Our task now is to work out what our new life looks like. It was revolutionary. <coughs> there was a revolution that began on that day. 
And last week, you didn't meet last Sunday evening, did you in here? Is that right? No. But last Sunday morning, Rich stretched out uh, a huge banner across the front of All Saints Church. And it's, on it, it said, Jesus did not say on the cross, I'm finished. It said, it is finished. He'd only just begun. <laughs> He'd only just begun the process of salvation of the world. Which we enter into the richness and goodness of, even as we sit here this evening. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I just have to go, kaboom. That's amazing. How can I, as Paul Wilcox, all five or two of me, somehow enter in to this, this experience of, of God that he has available for me? Please help me. I think one of the keys actually is through worship, because when we sit or stand as we have this evening and are led so beautifully by Stephen the gang here, I, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven already. It's just awesome. We are so blessed and privileged to meet here with such freedom. I, think I actually think we take it totally for granted. I, I really honestly think that if we could just begin to enter into some of the freedom that we have, our hearts would just soar. And I have to move out of my seat because I want to move around a bit. I mean, to be honest, if I could, I'd be flying and bouncing off the walls in here. <laughs> because my heart is just exploding with thankfulness and worship of who God is and what he's done. This is the God whom we love and worship and adore and serve. This is the God that this world needs to hear about. This is the unconditional relationship of love and grace that God wants to have with every single one of us. But you'll know people, and I know people, who are broken and bruised and battered by life, sometimes by their own choices, actually. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies, actually. <laughs> That's what I find. I don't know if I'm kind of the odd one out here, but I think I'm, I'm actually my own worst enemy because of things I think, things I do, things I say, behaviour. But I think, why am I standing up here on a Sunday night? My life's a mess. I'm just as screwed up as you are. I shake you by the hand as you go out if you're not. We've all got stuff that's bubbling away, not very far below the surface that we need to deal with. And we will not be perfect until we get to heaven. There's a process of sanctification that's going on. But we're forgiven. We won't be perfect, but we're forgiven. Whoa, yes. Come on. My identity is, is a saint who sins. I'm a saint and you're a saint. I don't define myself as a sinner anymore because of Jesus. I'm a saint, but I sin. I make mistakes. I mess up. And we're all in this together. And we all need one another, actually. We're not meant to live this life on our own. I'm intrigued with that passage that was read for us from the good book this evening. Um, because there's a little note in really small print that says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 to 20. I just wonder why that is. I wonder if... Uh, that's a bit high. <coughs> I wonder if, because... <laughs> In there, there are certain things like 
grasping snakes and drinking poison that made the compilers of the canon of Scripture think, oh, we don't like that bit. Tear that bit out. It's very challenging, actually. Jesus' commission, did you catch it? Jesus' commission to the disciples, it's hugely challenging. What he's actually saying is in the light of all that's happened, in view of my death and resurrection, in view of all that, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And there... And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. What an agenda! What a manifesto for the believer. We're going to hear a lot about manifestos, aren't we, over the next couple of months. And we're going to hear all sorts of I was going to use uh, the, um, an unfortunate word. We're going to hear all sorts of stuff that's going to come out through the media <laughs> about, what, about what we should and shouldn't believe. Here's our manifesto. This is, this is what we're meant to be about. This is life for us. These are the expectations we're meant to have. We're meant to be on our toes and on the alert. Do we live on the alert for demonic activity in our midst? Um, I must confess, I don't wake up in the morning and think, right, where are they going to be today then? That doesn't tend to be my stance as I go into my day. Where are the demons? Where are the, where is, where's the, the devil possession? Where are the things that we need to be taking ground on? But I wonder if maybe we become a bit complacent, actually. And we underestimate how active the devil is. Let's, let's name him for who he is. I sometimes refer to him as the enemy. Let's name him for who he is. He's just as real as the God that we love and serve. The devil is, is you know, someone once said that the greatest trick the devil has ever played is to convince the world he doesn't exist. Very active. And you almost get a sense of it when you start getting below the surface in people's lives. You get a sense of there's something going on here that is just so not right. And you can almost sense his presence. And I think we need to speak in truth and life into that. I met with five precious guys this last Tuesday evening from this church to to pray and... um, as we met and just wept with each other over a particular situation, we, we could sense, you know, the devil having a heyday. But as we worshipped and prayed and glorified God, there came a lightness to us as we met. And I, I think some element of victory was achieved. But this, this is a challenging passage. The Bible, it, it will challenge us. John Piper says that when something descends on you with a biblical force, it changes everything. It changes the way you view yourself, the way you view the world, the way you view the people you love, the way you you view justice, the way you view care for the poor. It'll, It'll change everything. 
And the title for the talk this evening is Fully Commissioned. Fully Commissioned. Jesus sent out these disciples, commissioning them, fully commissioning them. But it's interesting, isn't it? And I was thinking about this this morning, that actually he, they were fully commissioned by him, but at this stage, Pentecost hadn't happened. They didn't actually have the presence of the Holy Spirit constantly with them. God's presence was resting on them and equipping them and leading them and strengthening, strengthening them and equipping them to do all these things. But as yet, the Holy Spirit hadn't come. Wow. We now have the Holy Spirit. Get a load of that. We can do far more things than even they did because of God's presence in them. And maybe what we need is just a, we need to kind of step up, <laughs> I think. And we do need to go into our days, actually, asking God to sensitise us to what he's doing. What's he calling us to get involved with? What does he want us to partner with him in? Because not only does he commission us, he commissions with us. He invites us to partner with him in what he's doing. Just think about that for a minute, because what that means is that anyone who you find yourself talking to, or any situation that you find yourself drawn into that you think uh, you should be involved with, God's already there. Okay? He is already there by his spirit working in that person's life. So actually, the responsibility doesn't all rest on you. It's about you partnering with him. Does that excite you? Yeah. You don't look too excited. Does that excite you? Yes. It flipping excites me. It would keep me awake at night if I thought about it. That if I had one little, one little glimmer of what God could really, really do, if I set to and partnered with him and said, right, God, what are we up to today? Where are we going today? So those of you, as you look at tomorrow morning, you look at Monday, you look at the rest of the week, you think, oh, it's a low week. <laughs> what, about, what about if God's in it? What about actually that, you know, that, that assignment you've got to write tomorrow or that you've got to go to work or you've got to get up early in the morning or you've got to go and see your Uncle Albert or I don't know, whatever it might be. And these things, they sit like little black things on the, on, in your diary. You know. Maybe there are some lessons and you think, oh no, I've got, I've got year 10 on Tuesday afternoon, there and night there. Maybe, what if God says, let me, let's partner together in that. Whatever it, whatever it might be, it will totally change your perspective on how you go into your week. Because it's not all about you. And I think we need to wake up to that. It's not all about me or all about you. It's about us, with God, commissioning with him in what he's doing. Does that excite you now? A little bit more. Brilliant. Because if we're going to live the life, and if, if the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is really so simple, is going to make a difference to this world, and if the manifesto that he gives us is going to bring real life to people, we've got to be prepared to jump on board and trust him. And three little key words, I think, get over ourselves. 
you've got to get over yourself a bit. A lot. <laughs> you've got to get over the things that hold you back, who you, who you think you're not, what you think you don't know. You've got to get over that and get into who God is and what he's capable of doing as we co-mission with him. Last night, um, I had a slight disaster. It wasn't that, wasn't that bad, but it was a <laughs> unfortunate. As in, I'd arranged to take my son, Matt, who's 13. I booked tickets, oh, a couple of months ago now, to go over to Regent's College to watch a performance of a play called uh, Reckless Abandon. And was anybody there? Anybody in it? Were you, there? Were you in it? I thought you were. You know when you came in? <laughs> I thought I recognised that face, yeah, yeah. Um, it was amazing, I mean, oh, it was amazing. Oh, I can big it up now even more. So, <laughs> but the thing was, my wife's away, so, um, you weren't in it, were you? Yeah. Oh, Flip. <laughs> <laughs> How many of the cast have we got here? <laughs> Just two. Well, I had the most awesome evening. But, but the thing was, I shouldn't really be saying this now in front of these two, but we were late getting there. Because at 20 past seven, we were all set, Matt and I had agreed we were going to watch Lord of the Rings, actually, and I'd got a nice glass of white wine lined up, and I thought, this is my evening sorted. At 20 past seven, I thought, oh, no, we're, we're meant to be in Malvern. <laughs> well, I was sitting there in my shorts and T-shirt, having been in the garden yesterday afternoon, quickly pulled some trousers on, um, and we shot over to Malvern, and we got there about quarter two, crept in at the back. But, honestly, um, I mean, I... I but the story of these um, five um, missionary couples who went to Ecuador in the mid-1950s was, it's always inspired me, actually. And um, I think it's because my own in-laws were missionaries shortly after that. And um, their world was rocked when the five men were uh, speared to death, basically, by a group of uh, Indians, the, the Auka Indians. And... Um, leaving five uh, young wives just in their 20s and, um, you know, basically about your ages, not much older, um, small children, one of the couples expecting. Um, and it was just devastating. Um, and that could have almost have been like a very low event, to be honest. But the, but the wonderful truth uh, of what God did in that scenario is amazing because um, Elizabeth Elliot, the, the wife of one of the couples, and uh, Rachel Saint, the, uh, the sister of one of the other guys, they actually went into the jungle to uh, translate scripture and to reach out to the Indians. And the results were amazing, weren't they? I mean, it's just phenomenal what, what began as a result of that. So people were converted. Uh, I mean, they still do, um, they have these incredible machines, that, like little paragliders that go throughout the jungle taking the gospel, even today, uh, into remote areas. And it's just phenomenal. But here's the thing that always, always, always breaks me, is that one of the young boys who was left, Steve Saint, he actually met the guy who'd killed his dad. And in fact, the guy who killed his dad baptised him. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. How does that work? It can only be the grace of God. Only be the grace of God. 
And to be honest, whenever I find, whenever, yeah, pretty much whenever I find myself in a situation where I'm struggling to forgive, because that's something else that was revolutionary achieved at the cross, of course, was this new way of forgiveness, this new pathway of forgiveness was opened up. This ministry of reconciliation was given to us all. And if ever I struggle with that, and I have to say, I do sometimes, <laughs> if I don't particularly like the person I'm being called to forgive, it's, a, it's such a challenge. But I often think of that story and think, how, how, how can I not forgive? And when I consider what God has done for me, how, how, how dare I actually not forgive? How can I not seek to bring about peace in a particular situation? As I reflect on the God of peace and what he's done for me. But those, those missionaries went to follow a call to co-mission with God, you see. And they co-operated with his will and purpose for their lives. And it was tough. And the play betrayed it brilliantly in the way that the women, the dialogue between the women um, was just phenomenal. After the men had, you know, when, before they were going and after they were discovered dead. Incredible. And those lives were obviously changed forever. But also their families and the worldwide influence of that story has been just amazing, actually. Um, so I've got a few C's for you this evening. So we've got the, the commission and the commission. Then we've got the cooperation with God that he's calling us into. But then also we have collaboration or co-laboring with him. That's how I like to think of that. Collaboration is co-laboring. It's a beautiful concept. In fact, it's one that I'm teaching on quite a bit at the minute. When I go to Regents and I do this course on, uh, for Elim on coaching and training pastors in coaching skills, and I talk about the importance of collaboration and not competition. Now, competition can be healthy in certain quarters, but it can also be devastating in others and can rob leadership of its joy and attraction. I sometimes say to the guys that I mentor, you know, my biggest, my biggest, my biggest dread is that my children, I've got three children, for those of you who don't know, Nathan's 26, Emma's nearly 23, and Matt's 13. Do you know what I fear? That they might get to a point in their life when they, be, they would be invited to take on a leadership role, and they turn around and say, oh no, I saw what it did to my mum and dad. Yeah, that, that genuinely fills me with such dread that oh, I think leadership should be attractive, you see. I think leadership should be attractive and should be, um, if it's not, there's something wrong, actually. Because if we're co-missioning and co-operating and co-labouring with God, the burden and the pressure actually should rest on him. Do you agree? That, that, that actually we should be able to be vessels for joy and transformation. That's our calling. To let, let the pressure, let the, you know how we're called to wear a yoke, him in one half, us in the other, a wooden yoke 
that's meant to be a comfortable fit. Now, I know there's, there's hard work in leadership. I know there is. I'm not, you know, dispelling that. But there's a difference between it being hard work for periods of time and this gruelling, let's grit our teeth and get on with it type mindset. I don't actually believe that. that's what discipleship is about. There should be a joy in our step, that ability to live in the light of the bigger picture, to know that God's in control. And the final C, which I didn't really say much about this morning, is, is curiosity. And this kind of is like a generic theme that, that I believe needs to run through all of what I've just been saying. And I, my question to you is, how curious are you about what God could possibly do if you were willing to commission, cooperate, collaborate with him? Do you have a, a spiritual nosiness about what the potential might be? Where might he lead you? What, what might he call you into? What might he be calling you to get involved with? You might look at that list that's been given out and think, oh, well, well, I've never really done any gardening, but I'm prepared to have a go. If somebody else shows me what to do with a fork, or whatever, I don't know. I've just picked that one off as a kind of a little example. But there, there, could, be, there could be a calling on you to in terms of your entire future. What, what is God calling me to? Are you curious about that? Because I think we can be. I think we can genuinely be curious. You see, here's the thing. Sort of spin back a few couple of days in the, in the story here. Uh, where that stone was rolled away from the entrance to the tomb. It wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. You know that, don't you? It was rolled away so that Mary Magdalene could get in and see what had happened, where her curiosity and wonder and faith could be blown out the water as she was told that Jesus wasn't there. He'd risen. Wow. What areas of, the, of your life do you need a stone rolled away in? <laughs> Is there an area of your, your spiritual walk that feels a bit like death? A bit like a dead end, a bit like a no hope, no future, nothing happening there. Is there a relationship? Is there someone you love who seems as far away from God as it's possible to be? where God just might want to roll away the stone so that new life can happen. I found myself praying with, with folk earlier today um, and they just need, they need to know resurrection life. In their marriage, they need to know that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. We all need that, don't we? We all need to know that he's a God of the miraculous. And that exousia power, that kind of, you know, stone rolling away, body raising power is available to us. And we can know resurrection and healing. Could we have that picture on the, uh, on the screen, please? Now, our venerable um, Chris Giles, who we all love and adore, 
uh, Ivana more than most of us, one hopes, um, <laughs> has been on his travels. And um, this is one of his holiday snaps. Not really, he took a bunch of children. I know what it's like to take children abroad, so it wouldn't all have been, you know, a bed of roses. But anyway, this is a picture from a church called saint anne de beaupre which is on the St. Lawrence River, just outside Quebec. And as you go into this church, I don't know if you can see this picture very well, but we'll put it up again at the end, just so you can get a closer look. This, there are two pillars inside the church, and these two pillars are covered with crutches and braces and all sorts of other devices that help people with their disabilities in walking, whatever. <laughs> what you have here on these two pillars are the crutches that have been left behind by the people who've been healed. Right? That's, that's what this is a photograph of. These people have been to this basilica, they've, they've been on pilgrimage there, they've been prayed for, and they've gone out without needing them. Hallelujah! Isn't it? That... that and I, when I saw that picture, I thought, oh my giddy aunt, that just gives such a, a brilliant illustration of what I'm on about here. Are you, does that raise your curiosity? Does that make you think, what could God do? What could God do in my life? What area of my life could he bring complete and total healing? And it might not be a physical healing, although it might be, but it might be a mental healing, a psychological healing, something which is crippling us, which we long to be healed from and, uh, and restored to fullness of life that we were talking about earlier. What's your curiosity level, I wonder? I love the title of the, um, the play last night, Reckless Abandon. Because I believe that, that God is calling us all to a life of reckless abandonment for him. I honestly don't think there's anyone in this room this evening who doesn't need prayer for that. So we're going to offer prayer in a minute and invite you to come forward to be prayed for. And in all honesty, if you're left sitting there, I'm thinking, is Jesus real for you? Because if we're serious about this, and... I'm calling you and challenging you to be serious. If you want to enter into the fullness of the experience of who God really is, we've got to be recklessly abandoned and say, wherever, whenever, however, and with whoever, I'm up for it. Let's stand. <clears throat> I wonder if we can have the, the band back, could we? I'm calling you to be willing to hang your kind of metaphorical crutches on the pillar, really, to bring whatever it might be that, that you feel is holding you back from entering into this fullness of life. And as we worship, I'm going to encourage you to come to the front. And we've got folk here who are, who are more than willing to pray for you. And if you see someone who isn't praying for, being prayed for, pray for them, will you? Let's, let's not leave this place the same that we came in. Let's leave with a joy in our heart and, a, and a, a, a higher faith level than we came in. But let's start by giving God all the glory. And let's hit the ground running here. Let's not, you know...
Bless you. <clears throat> Thanks, Paul. Just practically, uh, to make that work, if, what I suggest is if, you're, if you want to be prayed for for reckless abandon, uh, which, as Paul said, should be all of us, so let's all just move over to there. <laughs> that would be great. Um, it, it, but it might be that actually what you want prayer for is some of the being raised from the dead stuff. Mm, you know, yeah, there's bits yeah. of your life that yeah. you think, geez, that's, that needs healing, that needs resurrection. If that's you, can you come down to this bit here? Mm. Okay, so if you want to be prayed for to be more full of faith, reckless abandon, head up that way. Don't wait till the end of the song. Just as soon as the song starts, go. And if, if actually there's stuff that you want help with, God's power to do something wonderful in and through. Come down here, okay? Paul and I will be here. Ministry team will be over there. Okay, got it? Marvellous.